0: I guess I always wanted my science to be relevant to society, a bit more tangible somehow.
1: I don't know if it is, but that was always the goal. <laughs> well, our whole extended family is really proud of your achievements.
0: Evie and her husband Nick speak with a scientist they know, Evie's cousin Helen, on this episode of My Significant Scientist.
1: Right
2: yeah. Okay, go for it. Evie, please <laughs> introduce yourself.
1: Hi, I'm Evie Jones, and I'm here with Nick, my husband. We're interviewing Helen McGregor, who is my cousin and climate scientist extraordinaire. I've known Helen all my life. We're a month apart in our birthdays. And so we were just going to ask Helen some questions about science.
2: They're both 40, by the way. Good looking. 40. (laughs) Thanks, Nick. (laughs) Context.
1: So your dad was always into science type stuff and exploring and looking at rocks and everything, what first attracted you to study science?
0: Uh, I think I was always curious about the world and I think dad really fostered that. And in high school I was good at it. So, and I also felt like, you know, it was a, a an acceptable profession that my parents would approve of. Mm. Um, but I think overriding was the curiosity and then sort of getting into geology and rocks a bit more. And then it was like, no, nah, I want to be a
1: geologist. I guess a part of that is that you guys moved around a lot when you were younger. So lots of different cities because your dad was in the Air Force. But you kind of have seen to continue that nomadic lifestyle with your career. Is that normal for a scientist or is that something you've chosen?
0: Mm, I, I think it's part of being a scientist, um, certainly, the Australian system looks favorably on you kind of going out into the world and making connections and so when you come back to Australia you 've got those sort of international networks to help do the best science you can and you know it broadens your experience. especially more recently i've been getting more and more frustrated with not having any roots and not having a stable base and I think, oh my god i 've been doing this all my life I'm sick of moving <laughs> so. Yeah, so I am looking forward to having a, you know, a more permanent job that's in just one place and you know, moving if I choose to, but not because I have to.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: You might get itchy feet after a while.
0: I might, but yeah. I'm thinking I probably won't.
2: <laughs> Do you like uh, working outdoors?
0: Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's great. Is yeah.
2: that something that's important as a climate change scientist?
0: Yeah, I th- I think when I was looking again at sort of branches of science, the idea of being like a chemist and just being totally in the lab was not appealing at all. Like getting out was part of it and being in the world and experiencing the world kind of physically and touching it kind of thing. And-
2: what are some of the places that you've worked, field work? Where are some of the more exotic places that you've been or perhaps mm. not even so exotic? Uh,
0: I guess oh, undergrad was sort of mapping field trips out the back of Mount Isa, kicking around, lighting spinifex bushes sometimes. <laughs> because we were bored. <laughs> um, I worked at a couple of mines, so middle of Western Australia and far North Queensland. Um, and then field work. Oh, gosh. Um, I was living in Germany for a while and I went on a research cruise off the coast of Senegal and a really good friend of mine were up the front of the boat. She's an oceanographer and just loves oceanography. And she was like, on the ocean and we couldn't see a boat or land or anything and it was just ocean everywhere and that's that's an amazing feeling of space and then you know I, I do a lot of tropical research so some amazing little tropical islands and hard places to get to and four-hour boat rides in an open boat navigating by the islands around you and that yeah so some pretty amazing field work places. I, one, one island when I was doing my PhD off, off um the north coast of Papua New Guinea and You know, to find the particular coral species I've been looking at, you you get towed across the reef just on a piece of rope and a piece of wood off the back of the boat. And I remember kind of being towed along, and then coral, 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 crocodile, coral, (laughs) (laughs) crocodile. Oh, Oh, look, and, and there's a shark, and so you're kind of yeah, really in amongst it.
1: Your scientific choice, climate change, is very topical, and we love that about you. What made you get into it? Was it timing when you were at uni that that was kind of became your thing or um when I was in third
0: year, we had to choose honors projects and I was interested in uh, actually geochemistry so that chemistry of rocks basically and I could have chosen a, a more sort of traditional geology chemistry kind of project or I was just naturally drawn to the kind of earth surface processes. So how rivers shape the landscape, how sediments are deposited, and then chemistry within that. So what is the chemistry of the water? I guess that was the first choice I had to make. And I so I opted for a more environmental project at, at honours level. And I was working in the mining industry I could see the career path and it wasn't like I knew I could do it I just had to get the experience it wasn't as challenging and I sort of remembered when I was doing my honours people talking about things like El Nino climate cycles and how we could learn more about them from studying the chemistry of corals so that kind of led me into there and then El Nino's being a way that the climate system distributes heat was kind of fascinating and I just kind of got more and more into the climate, um, being interested in, the, in climate it's for, in its own right. And then it's also topical, has some societal relevance. And I, I guess I always wanted my science to be relevant to society, a bit more tangible somehow. I don't know if it is, but that was always the goal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, our whole extended family is really proud of your achievements. And I love nothing more than the banter that you would have with my dad, who is the, who was the ultimate global warming sceptic. Have you ever been able to convert a true non-believer and did you convert dad?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think that's really interesting because I'm not sure I want to convert people because that implies some kind of religious belief. I mean, I know to some extent people who are non-scientists want to trust scientists, but I'd like people to hear what the scientific approach and what the results are and see the logic in, in drawing those conclusions. You know, I think with Johnny, um, your dad, I mean, he liked the challenge. He liked the banter. But I I do remember a few times he he was interested in sea level and just discussing the the natural history of sea level change. And you could see the penny would drop on a couple of things and he'd kind of go, oh, actually that makes a lot of sense. So I don't know if I ever converted him, but he listened and, you know, he he would immediately come Come up with a counterpoint, you know, just because that was him. But... But at least, um, he, you know, he was open to the conversation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what frustrates you most about your field of science?
0: That I, as kind of climate scientists, it would be great to have a chance to speak to people one-on-one who don't necessarily understand the science and help them realise what we're doing, how scientists have come up with the conclusions they've come up with, and particularly, you know, you know it's so frustrating not to be able to sit with them and say guys this is this is how we come to these conclusions this is this is what it's based on Hey look at the geological record we can see where these things have happened before and these were the consequences and you know
1: it so only... isn't isn't that an issue with the scientific community that they're not getting their message out there or they're not being heard or they're having too many people come out with counterpoints all the time
0: look I think scientists do welcome the discussion and and I certainly think you know, some people have come at the what climate scientists are saying from a very negative point of view, but they've had fair kind of statistical arguments and that's made the scientific community do what they do better. But I do feel like when do we as scientists get a chance to say and to speak with people who, who matter on the policy side? I've got a lot of colleagues who are really willing to talk, but our voices aren't heard in the media and, and that's terribly frustrating and we're not always the best communicators. That's not necessarily what we've been trained to do, but we want to because we can see the consequences of the things that we're finding and it's going to be important for society. So,
1: so how do you think your work has impacted the world's outlook on climate change or, or climate change itself?
0: Um, oh, I think, oh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so. So I guess the work that I've done on El Nino cycles has really looked at the natural variability of El Nino and shown that it, it varies more than, than we've seen or experienced in, in the climate record. And I mean, as in, it can be a lot quieter than, than the current day record, there, and we've yet to find evidence if it can be noisier or conclusive evidence that can be noisier. Uh, one of the other projects I'm working on at the moment is trying to look at what the climate of the average global signal in the ocean is for the last 2,000 years. And the last 2,000 years is kind of important as a as a baseline period. There's natural variability in there. And the ocean is important as, because it's the major heat sink for the planet. It really drives climate change on, on long timescales. So I feel like that one, it's, it's yet to be published. Um, we're just about to submit it. But that one, I think, will make a difference in, in just saying, well, look, here's a major, here's what a major component of the climate system does uh, and here's what the modern looks like in that context. So I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I hope it has an impact.
2: <laughs> so how has your science affected other parts of your life?
0: Um, <laughs> uh, I get very nerdy about a lot of things. <laughs> so I think uh, one example was... Um, buying a flat in Wollongong and looking at looking at the models for sea level rise and where it was projected to be and then pulling out the topography maps and going, well, I'm not going to buy a place that's lower than 10 metres above yeah.
1: sea level. Well, I reckon if we were ever buying a coastal house, we'd be checking <laughs> in with you first too. What
2: about, what about say, shopping at the supermarket, and the way you might fill up your trolley? Is there an approach <laughs> <Yeah>. that you <laughs> take that perhaps might be more thought out than what i may do for instance
0: oh i guess um yeah well yeah how much of it is scientific but i do look at the numbers on the panel and like oh it's got this many milligrams of salt well that's not very good (laughs) but i mean i guess that's probably also health related i guess i tend to look for evidence for things if i hear things in the media um i want to see well what is the evidence for that where is the paper that describes that no you know I might go and dig in the literature and try and find it.
2: How about with dating? Do you take a particular scientific approach to dating?
0: <laughs> um, I guess in the past... we
2: have to clarify this. You have had a few long yes, term I relationships.
0: Yes, I have had a few.
1: And it does seem to be a prerequisite that there's an element of
2: boffin to the... Uh- <laughs> so, it's a, yes, so it's a numbers game there as well.
0: Oh, uh, I, I did... Um- <laughs> I guess this may be scientific. I kind of w- uh-huh. would not date if this, you know, if if and that type statements, you know, I could have. So you almost... whiteboarded
2: this <laughs> initially, you drafted <laughs> up a set of criteria.
0: Oh, I did think about it. Yeah, I did think about, okay, so education, yes, would like quite like it if he's got a bachelor's degree.
2: So level of academic achievement, quite important Important. To you. Um,
0: Oh, physically active, you know, I'm into being fit and active. So, uh-huh. you know, um, so it's kind of like a compatibility thing. So, I was always almost like, you know, there's lots of people out there. What sort of people are most likely to be compatible with me? You know, if someone is massively into just sitting on the couch, well, probably we're not going to get along. You so, know?
2: So the
1: probability of getting along yeah, the, is zero. It's, it's
2: zero. So, so I could summarize this as saying smart and buffed. <know>?
0: to be buff but you know if they're active but yeah, as it good is good. as
1: it is you've actually online dating wasn't a success no and you've ended up with another boffin uh, admittedly not a scientist so, yeah. but still in the academic field yes the, yes
2: from the lab next door I
1: <laughs> <laughs> if you take well, a wrong turn <laughs> i took a wrong corridor and went, yeah
0: <laughs> it's just meeting over the coffee machine. No, no, it wasn't actually. But um, uh, but interestingly, a human geographer, so someone who studies people rather than you know rocks. things rocks <laughs> and rocks and you
1: know. Well,
2: between you, you've got things pretty well covered. Haven't yeah. You?
1: <laughs> so lastly, we've talked a lot about where you came from and and where science has taken you and stuff. But where does it take you now? What what does science mean for you now? And and. I guess, your lifestyle and and its impact on where you head to.
0: Yeah, it's been interesting because the last year, um, so last year my contract came to an end and I was really starting to question, you know, I was unemployed and I was really wondering, do I leave science? Do I go and retrain as something else? And then earlier this year I got this future fellowship, which is really quite prestigious you know and that's sort of a platform to build and I guess now it's like oh okay well I can start thinking much more long term about science that is going to ask good questions but takes a little longer to longer lead time and longer to put into place but I think the other thing is I'm probably going to start doing a bit more teaching and teaching the next generation of scientists whether they stay in science or not but having a kind of a broad critical thinking open mind to new ideas and understand a scientific approach in different contexts. So I'm really looking forward to, to that. Personally, I should be able to hopefully settle down a bit more. <laughs> That'd be nice. But the other thing with science is sometimes you never quite know where it's going to take you. Like I would never have imagined winding up in crazy islands in the Pacific Ocean. Um, so I kind of look forward to that too, of, of mm. where the chance meeting of a person that involves you in a project and suddenly you're, you're off.
1: Yeah, we'll see. Bit more stability. (gasps) Bit more stability. But the chance that it'll change. Yeah.
0: Let's see. Let's (laughs) see. Thanks, everyone. Thanks to Evie, Nick, and Helen for sharing their conversation from September 2014 near Canberra, Australia. Remember that you can join the conversation too by following my Sig Scientist on Twitter and liking my Scientist on Facebook.